This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 25. This is Writing Excuses, our journey with character. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Valin. I'm Dan. I'm, I've had such a journey. Oh my, (laughs) oh my. Uh, I love these episodes. (laughs) This is a weird episode. I put this one in kind of last minute into the the outline. I have no idea how it's going to go. I wanted to ask the podcasters how their perspective on character has changed since they were a young writer, since they first started writing. And I'll make myself go first to give them time to talk about this so I can kind of show you what I mean. When I first started writing books back when I was a teenager and in my young 20s, I was very, um, I I would say, external conflict focused. All of my characters, if you've read Elantris, you'll see this in Elantris in my characters. Um, They were people who got into a really big problem and were kind of innately strong, moral, proactive people who had terrible, terrible disasters happen to them and then spent the entire book digging their way out of it in some way or another. And I wrote five or six books all this way, um, and that was how I wrote characters, particularly primary protagonists. Yeah, like if you've read Elantris— that character... Yeah, you've read White Sands' main character as well, and yeah. you've read uh, just a lot of my early characters, that same thing. Dan's just nodding his head. <laughs> um, I guess yeah, I should say I've how, read it's so changed, many of those. how it's changed is the more I've written, I very naturally looked inward with characters toward character conflicts, internal conflicts, character... Like, I had character flaws... But they're always something very pithy and easy to say. Like mm. in White Sand, which is my first book and my seventh book, and now you can read the, the graphic novel, the character flaw was he just wasn't very good with the magic. In a world where he was supposed to, you know, the, the story is about a guy, the guy who's very weak in the magic, where everyone better than him dies, and he has to take over. And so his flaw is, I'm the weakest guy around. That's a handicap, really. Um, Mm -hmm. there is not a strong character flaw. And the further I've written, the more I've had my characters look inward. Um, and, but beyond that, the more I've started to deal with, um, with things like a a great example is in Elantris, I have a character who has, um, autism, but it's very Hollywood autism. It's very Rain Man, right? Um, And you can read that. It's straight like Rain Man sort of thing. Um, In my latest books, there are three characters on the autism spectrum. Um, And people will read the books and be like, wait a minute, this character's autistic, aren't they? Um, And it's come from knowing people with autism, uh, researching, actually reading about it, um, not taking this super dramatic example as the only example of how um, someone who has this way of thinking exists and things like this. It's me, I I don't want to say trying to be more nuanced because that gives me maybe too much credit, but it's me getting bored with doing the same thing and or me trying to do better with um it's like when I, when I write a character, whatever attributes that character has, the people who share that attribute in the real life are 
giving me trust over that character to do it right and do it justification. Mm. And if I do it poorly and kind of only the big glitz Hollywood way, um, what happens is we have yet another check mark on the one out of a thousand people who are like that and the other 999 who share a condition with this but think wildly differently or have a wildly different uh, life experience never end up getting represented. And they're like, uh, you know, you you, you did you've what done, everyone did. You've done them a, you've done them yeah. a disservice. You've is, done them is, a disservice. Yeah. I don't want to say that, though, because that's like saying Rain Man did a disservice. There are legitimately people who have that type of autism, but it's not the only yeah. way to yeah. express but that. But the 10th movie yes. that comes out depicting, you know, that condition the way Rain Man did. Yeah. After 10 movies, that qualifies as a disservice. Right, right, right. Which is why I say it that way. Yeah, exactly. And so you you see me looking inward at characters, doing character arcs differently, making internal conflict and dealing with flaws and and, uh, and handicaps in different ways. And that's been probably my biggest journey as a writer um, with character. I think for me, the I think the problem is when you're just starting out, you hear a lot, write what you know, and the problem is you don't really know a lot at, at all <laughs> like for someone like me. And uh, so I decided that I would base some of the character characterizations off people I knew, my friends, and discovered that when I did that— uh, the problem is your friends because you have a lot in common. And so you say a lot of the same phrases and your interests are the same. And that's what kind of brought you together in the first place. And so I think that it's important to, for me, creating characters uh, at these days that are that are different, I focus a lot on the side characters, the secondary characters, and how, based on those interactions or based on who those characters are, how they affect my main character. And that has changed a lot. I mean, if you have a character who was raised by grandparents, it's going to be different than a character who was raised by a single mother. But just looking at the the side characters and seeing what they've contributed to your main character's life has helped me flesh out the characters so that they end up being a lot different from each other than they originally started. I, first of all, I just want to say, I I love how much you focus on, on relationships. Like all the things you've said in all these episodes are so deeply clued into relationships and who these people are and where they come from, which we don't often talk about as much, which is cool. Anyway, I was just thinking about that when you were talking. So my characters, the big change that I have gone through from my own perspective is that I am focusing less and less on plot and more and more on just exploring a really interesting person. Um, And I am now less concerned about creating a character who can do what I need them to do. You know, I no longer worry about, well, you know, this is the problem that needs to be solved. Is this person going to be able to pull that off? Sure they will. Of course, they're the hero. They can do it eventually. What's more interesting to me is just spending time with them and getting to know them. And so on the one hand, you know, 
I, I've got a lot of books, a lot of my YA books all have female protagonists, teen girl protagonists. And Kira is very different from Marisa, who is very different from Quincy, who none of you have read because her book isn't published yet. Um, on the other hand, I have fallen into a trap that I've only just noticed where the boy that hangs out with that girl, they're all the same. Mm. You know, Marcus is basically just Bao, who is basically just Ruben, who again, you've never read. Um, and so I've had to take back, you know, take take a step back and go, now wait, I've been doing really well with my main characters and kind of letting the side characters fall away. I did that too. Um, I've, it's been fairly recent that I've noticed it, but more like in the last five or six years that I was commonly letting side characters fall way more into tropes than the main character. I was focused so mm-hmm. much on the main character. Yeah, which I think is just a natural stage of progression as you really start to love getting to know who this person is and just as deep as you can. And you can't get to know an entire cast of characters with that level of granularity without going nuts. And so you do kind of so have that's a tendency. What to you. Yeah. You have a tendency to kind of let it slide on those and like, yeah, well, you know, the best friend boy, he can just be the best friend boy. Um, but then my writing group on this most recent book is like, um, this guy does not have a very distinct personality. And I realized, oh, yes, he does. It's just this other person's personality. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We should do our book of the week. Oh, you want more time to think, do you? All right. <laughs> well, um, I, I'll be honest with you. I, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find a way to articulate this so okay. it goes quickly. Okay. Because it's a long story. Well, okay. let's do our book of the week, My Lady Jane. Okay. My Lady Jane is written by Brody Ashton, Cynthia Hand, and Jody Meadows. 
one of the things that these authors do so well is humor. It's kind of a, it's a young adult. Uh, basic description would be a princess bride meets Lady Hawk. And some of you may I want way to read too it young right for Lady Hawk. Yeah. <laughs> but basically, there are three characters that this book focuses on. It's from different perspectives. Um, it's going back to um, the time where Edward is the king of England and he's dying. And so he's trying to focus on finding an heir and he's um, getting his, his cousin, Jane, ready to, he's arranging a marriage to secure their their kingdom and uh there's also a horse that turns into a man he turns into a man during the day at dawn and then turns into a man at at night and so the three of them get drawn into this conspiracy um and have to figure their way out but it, the thing that I love is mostly the humor and the way that these characters interact with each other. And the time period is just fun as well. That sounds great. Is the soundtrack done by Alan Parsons Project or? <laughs> <laughs> In my head, all books have a soundtrack by the Alan Parsons Project. Actually, I don't think Lady Hawk was technically the Alan Parsons Project, but there's a relationship there. <laughs> um, Howard, you're up. Come on. Okay. I majored in music and specifically music composition. And one of my failings is that, uh, I mean, I could, I could write a melodic hook. Um, if they, they, they called me, you know, Mr. Viral Melody because I could write a melodic hook very, very quickly. Um, it was a thing that I was good at. What I was not good at was taking these things that were you know, a minute and a half long and turning them into a four or five minute piece that explores variations on that melody. And in part, that's because of a general failing, which is that I just didn't know how to put the time in. I didn't know how to do the difficult things. Uh, I had done the easy part and and it's cool and it sounds good and can I be done and turn this in? By the way, I graduated with a degree in you know, music composition. So apparently the bar is lower than it should have been. <laughs> um, the bar is quite a bit lower than it should have been. But when I look at my work, uh, writing and cartooning, um, I look back at it. I've been doing this now for almost 18 years. Um, and, and I have learned to do the hard things. When I began, these characters were, they were one hit wonders. They were they were simple melodies. They were melodic hooks, um, and I have needed to draw them out for 18 years. Uh, there have been, if you if you know the mathematics behind how a fugue is written, uh, you'll see that the melody for a fugue, not every melody can be turned into a fugue. In fact, there are a lot of melodies that will sound like they will make a good fugue, and then you find out uh, halfway through that they don't. And I had that happen to me several times. <laughs> the point here, though, is that uh, as, I am, as I am exploring variances in characters, as I'm adding more characters to the cast, um, I am discovering this, this underpinning, this mathematics of how 
the characters and the art and the story all interact. Um, I don't I don't have an actual mathematical formula for it, but but when I close my eyes and sit in the chair with the blanket on me and the cat on the blanket, thinking about the next things that happen in the story, the pictures in my head are the same as the pictures were when I was trying to write music. And I know that sounds really weird and creepy, but but that's the way it works. And that journey, uh, for me, the journey has been one where periodically I will do something that I just love in cartooning and realize, wow, I've leveled up. I've I've told the story in a new way. This has been awesome. Um, I you know I I told a story entirely from female points of view. I didn't think that was even possible. Did I do it well? I did it better than I would have three years earlier. Could I do it better now? Absolutely. Um, but I was very pleased with it at the time. I look at that and I look back at my career as a musician and I'm disappointed because I was not the musician I could have been if I had woken up and paid attention to doing the hard things. And so ultimately, my journey with character is this journey where I am looking back at me as a musician and shaking my head and saying, dude, I know you love making comics, but you could have been writing symphonic scores for video games if only you had gone a little deeper than these little cardboard melodies you spat out. Wow. That story was sadder than I thought it was going to be. It was not going to end happy. Honestly, if you come back, if you if you any story you tell about your journey, if it does not reflect back and have some regret in it, you've lied. And I'm not gonna lie. Well, I'm gonna lie a lot, (laughs) but I'm not gonna lie about that. There are there are regrets. We've we've done things wrong. We get things wrong all the time. I love that. You know, recently I wrote an argument between. uh, Ellen Foxworthy and Kevin Andreessen in the comic, and and Kevin apologizes, and my email box was flooded with people who were saying, "Oh my gosh, you need you need to put a you need to make a poster of this apology so that people can learn how to apologize." That's the most beautiful thing I've ever read, and it's so in character and so perfect. And when I wrote it, I was crying the whole time because. I had learned how to feel what that character was feeling and talk my way out of it in ways that explored all of the mistakes that he now recognized he was making. That was really difficult writing to do. And it was fun getting email that says, hey, wow, you're awesome. But it hurts to recognize that I could not have reached that point without having made some of that character's exact mistakes and failed to appropriately apologize for them. You know, every once in a while, you remind us why we have you on the podcast. (laughs) And those moments fill me with regret. (laughs) No, that was brilliant, Howard. That was was really, really well done. I'm glad we did this episode. I'm glad that I kind of gave you guys free reign. Um, Dan, you're going to give us some homework. Yes, we want you to do what we have just done. Uh, you can learn a lot about yourself as a writer and your goals as for the future by taking stock of where you are. So find someone, some wonderful person who is willing to listen to you in your writing group 
or a significant other or whoever it is, and then give them your journey with character. Talk about when you first started writing, how did you do characters? How do you think you have changed since then? And where do you think you should go next? This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.